This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 420, Such a High. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to gamesatwork.biz, your weekly technology podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Andy Piper. I am coming to you from my tiny little podcasting uh, abode in West London, and I am joined this week by the Michael that wasn't with us last week, but not by the Michael that was with us last week, Mr. Michael Rowe. Michael, how are you? Well, I am fine. You know, Michael's were interchangeable. You are, yes, very. <laughs> you're both in the North Carolina area, and uh, you know, and you're both called Michael. So, well, I mean, it, I it, forget which one I'm talking it, to. It's why you're an honorary Michael. Oh, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so, yeah. so we've got, as all we often do, we've got a lot of links that the three of us have noticed over the course of the week, and lots of stuff that we could talk about, and. We're not going to talk about any of that stuff. We no, are no. going to tell you that if you'd like to come and find out about solar trees and uh, people still living in Second Life and converting an Apple Watch into a mechanical watch, so say destroying your Apple Watch um, yeah. and various or or stable diffusion QR code images, which we talked about briefly last week, but uh, did you? We did. We did. I did not remember that, and I listened to the show. Outrageous. Uh, how dare uh, I? How rude. So there's, seriously, folks, there's a, there's a ton of stuff that, um, um, stories that we found interesting over the course of the week, and we think you might find interesting as well. So do come to gamesatwork.biz after you've listened to the show, check out the various links to things that we found interesting. In the meantime, instead of that, um, much actually sort of similarly as to, to, to what Michael and I, the other Michael and I did last week, we're both just going to talk about stuff that we are interested in this week uh, and and a couple yeah. of sort of, I guess, deeper dives on things. Uh, we've got, I guess, about half an hour, Michael. So why don't you yeah, about that. talk about what you were up to, why you weren't with us the uh, the last week and um, what you learned? Yeah, so, so um, I try every year to do what I call an education vacation. Mm. And it... it Con coincides with WWDC each year. Um, in the past, I would go to Cupertino and San Jose and actually spend a week with people and and do events and have fun. Uh, now it's it's me watching a bunch of stuff online. Uh, that sounds that sounds really shift. fun. That sounds really awesome. It, it, it actually is. It, to me, it's it's loads of fun, and I shift my 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 day to be on West Coast U.S. time. Um, and so last week was WWDC. It, it does seem like it was so long ago. What 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 is that uh, again? And recently, that's the Worldwide Developers Conference so all... from the corporation known as Apple. Ah, so it's not like all <laughs> developers worldwide. It's just the ones that are interested in Apple stuff. Yes. Apple, app, Apple stuff. So it should really be called the Worldwide uh, Developer Conference for Apple Developers. It's actually called Apple's WWDC. That also makes sense. Okay. 
Yes, yes. Anyway, so um, uh, we've got a couple of links in the show notes. One of them is uh, the 80 sessions that I attended over the course of the uh, really seven days because I went Monday through Sunday. Because mon- Monday is is like the lightest day. It's it's the keynote and the platform State of the Union session, which is of the two, I think the one that's actually more informative. <laughs> um, and they used to have a third one where they would announce the winners of the de- of the Apple Design Awards. Now they just post a bunch of blogs <laughs> for that. They don't even have videos for them anymore, uh, which was disappointing. My perspective on the platform State of the Union, um, and my understanding of it, I should say, because I don't think I've, I think I've watched bits of it in the past, but I don't think I've ever watched it in in its entirety. As Apple's, look, Apple have now got a consistent silicon base for all of their products, Mm -hmm. which I think might be the first time ever uh, in terms of the (laughs) various iterations and changes that different parts of the Apple portfolio has been through. But operating system-wise, and I guess a bunch of them are similar at the core, but they're different, and they've all got very different, um, quite different user interfaces. And mm, not so much anymore. Okay, so maybe maybe tell us a little. Yeah, bit, I'll get to uh, that. Well, okay, because I'm curious <laughs> about the platforms. I mean, do they do they go one by one? Do they talk about it as a consistent sort of Apple platform, or how does it how does it all pan out? No, they they do run platform by platform, kind of mirroring the structure of the keynote, but actually talking to it from the standpoint of the developer side, right? Uh, the keynote is is very much a product announcement meeting mm-hmm. <laughs> or session where they're trying to build hype, trying to build market awareness of what they're going to be working on over the next three months uh, and ultimately releasing in early to mid-September. Um, the, the platform state of the union actually talks about what are the architectural changes uh, the the directional uh, directions that they're heading and things. Um, they they will talk about where things are appropriate across platforms, um, but it but it somewhat mirrors the state uh, the, the the keynote, and um, it goes down to the API level. <laughs> okay, N- not every API, but but the key ones that are things that Apple feels. Uh, developers who want to be featured as launch titles or, or who want to have a chance of hitting the design awards for the next year, you pretty much want to focus on what they're talking about in the State of the Union. And, and obviously that is what uh, you're, you're aiming for, right? You, you're going to be one of the featured apps oh, next oh, year. Yeah. Oh, oh, I plan on being on the design award winners mm-hmm. for, for my apps, obviously. Yep. Um, and while... Obviously, much of the discussion was around VisionOS, and I don't know if that's the correct term. That's what I'm calling it. What was what was exciting, and we've talked about this for some time now, is not only how they were kind of laying out what was going to happen with the headset, with things like SwiftUI, right, where you could design for one platform and it would run on all, or as close as it could, um, but the the experience that I came in, came away with over the course of the week was the 
amount of tooling that has been put in place in the last five years to make uh, applications targeting this new Apple Vision OS platform. That, that can't be right because has been we, didn't, phenomenal. we didn't know about this five years ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, he's been, you know, uh, Tim Cook's been talking about it for at least five years in his earnings calls that AR and VR were the way of the future. And, and you can see uh, with, with Swift UI specifically, that's probably the most obvious one for most people, um, they abstracted away a lot of the nuance of each platform. And the closer you wrote to a native or standard Swift UI application, the more your application's UI will just render appropriately for VisionOS, right? It, it just will. Um, if you took the time to add widgets, those are just gonna work, right? They work on the iPad, they work on the iPhone, they work on the watch now. Uh, they, they, they will work as widgets in VisionOS. So, all these different things that they've done uh, have allowed the developer to focus on those things that they want to truly be a unique experience in their application, regardless of the platform you're targeting. And so at the end of this month, uh, the Vision OS uh, dev kit will become available for developers. It was not made available last week, which was a big disappointment, uh, at least to me, because I immediately wanted to take and say, add that target to my app as a targeted platform and see what happens. Uh, and I can't yet. Um, the, the other aspect of that was obviously uh, the headset itself is not available till next year, right? Um, the individuals that I got to chat with who had gone to Cupertino and who had been part of the teams that got to put the headset on and go through the on-rails demo, um, they have been told that they're, <clears throat> well, let me, let me back up slightly. Not that they've been told. It has been known now that there will be, um, locations around the globe, Tokyo, Minchin, uh, London, Cupertino, can't remember all the rest of them, but there's only one in the US. <laughs> it's Cupertino. There's nothing in New York, which was a bit surprising to me. Um, there's like four or five in Europe between London and uh, Munich. And I, I want to say Paris, but I'm not sure, but there's a couple other locations. There's a couple in Asia. Uh, that you can go and bring your application and work with Apple on how can you port it to take advantage of the platform. And individuals who are available to do that and can do that may have an opportunity to buy a dev kit version of the headset prior to the release in early next year. So uh, the thing that surprises me about that geographical fan out is that the product itself is rumored to only initially be available or stated to only initially be available in the US. Now, of course, developers come from everywhere around the globe and 
um, and so do their apps and they um, target different languages and different cultures. So, you know, that is a good thing that they're making it that widely available. I can only assume or I would, would assume that that offer of support for porting, etc., locally may well track to where Apple's teams are physically located. I'll probably talk about some more about um, my thoughts on the global aspects of the Vision Pro um, in a little bit, but okay, that's good to know. So, so they're, they're, so they're hoping to people are hoping to get some more access to play with it sometime soonish, sometime between now and the release date. Right. Um, I, and and like I said, by the end of this month, hopefully the dev kit's supposed to be made available. Uh, all the developer sessions um, that talked about porting or talked about taking advantage of the environment, et cetera, you know, dealing with the volumetric space that you're now capable of setting up. Um, they ended up showing the simulator. So you kind of know how the simulator is going to behave. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you couldn't follow along even in the code along sessions because the SDK is not available yet. The simulator is not available yet. So that was a little bit frustrating. So how did they do those? Um, did they show the, 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 the Apple developer hosting it, running it with the sim, running it with any kind of yes? Right. So they had a simulator to yeah, run. Yeah, they they have a they have a simulator in the videos of the sessions, right. um, and you can actually download the code now. Right, you just can't compile it because the SDK is not available. So so it was like I, I nope can't do it. <laughs> um, but the thing that was actually the most exciting thing for me coming out of out of WWDC was the release of Swift Data, uh, which has nothing to do with the headset. No. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it, it might do, it, it, but not initially. It does by definition because it, like Swift UI, is cross-platform. So what is Swift Data? Let me, let me describe that real quick. So um, on the Apple platform, you have a built-in... Uh, uh, data layer called Core Data. It's been around for a long time. I want to say 15 or more years uh, back in the, the Objective-C days. It is complex. It is convoluted. Um, and for all the extensibility that you want to add, you add more complexity. So for example, if you write an application uh, that stores data on an iPhone and wants to synchronize that data via iCloud, you have to install another library called CloudKit. Um, and that allows you to then persist data up onto the cloud and synchronize it across devices. And that can be problematic. Uh, I've got an app that does that, that I've been in development with for a long time, just because I'm using it as a learning experience. And the, the synchronization effort happens when it wants to, at its schedule, sometimes. <laughs> Uh, and so what, what Swift data has done is they've taken the same treatment of Swift UI, which says, don't worry about all that. If you use our standard functionality, we'll just work from a developer perspective. But wasn't that what, um, wasn't that what core data was and CloudKit were saying anyway, they were kind of saying, use this stuff and it'll work. And then you've just said, but it didn't always work. And I just wanted to kick it right. sometimes to make it synchronize or something. Why do you trust well, this the, the instead thing, of that? Well, uh, because I've seen what they've done with Swift UI. Okay. Right. Um, and 
and yes, there are things that um, it's going to be, it's version 1.0, right? Um, but for example, if you, currently in core data, you have to use a data modeling tool that's built into Xcode to define your data. Uh, you then have to set up your own persistent store that connects up to the data model. You then have to set up another thing to abstract it into CloudKit, et cetera, et cetera. With, with, with Swift data, you describe your database in code. It's basically a class that you attach to it a, a Swift macro that says, um, this is a model. And it goes, okay. It will generate the database. It will persist data for you. It will auto-save. It enables undo automatically. Uh, and with like one other you know, attribute, you suddenly sync to CloudKit. <laughs> That's it. Um, and so it allows you to, the source of truth of your application goes back to the code, which I find reassuring. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I've decided that uh, my plan for this summer, two plans. One, target my Wasted Time app or Vision OS. That should be very little work. If everything that they say holds true, we shall see. And two, rewrite my other database-based application from the ground up using Swift data. So with, <laughs> I'm assuming with wasted time, we're going to have just this massive big clock just floating in our faces. It'll be it's the size be that you make it. Oh. You can put it over on the wall. Oh. Right? You, can, you can attach it to the wall. Okay. And will it have a little cookie that yeah. kind of virtually flies out of it? And... <laughs> I, I haven't decided yet. I'm, I'm not an artist. And you can see if you've looked at my app, it's obvious. <laughs> Okay, so um, this so, is Michael asking for artistic support for his new uh, versions of his apps. Yes. But overall, I thought it was an incredible session. Like I said, I, I did 80 sessions, um, and I basically captured my raw notes uh, on my blog and tagged them by the category so that I, as I get ready to actually use the thing, I can go back to my raw notes and have it point me to the session or some details in the session as a way of, of, of learning. So there were, there were 80 blog posts last week. It's a lot of content. There's a lot it of content insane. to consume and a lot of content to create alongside it, which is... Uh, and there were 175 sessions, so I didn't even make it through half. Yeah, so you actually probably not found the most interesting things yet, let's be honest. You've probably missed all of that. Well, well, our, uh, our listeners require you to go back and watch the rest. Yeah, well, what I do is, is on Monday, while I'm between the keynote and the State of the Union, I'm usually destroying my machines by trying to install the betas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then after the State of the Union and before they announce the design winners, I'm going through the week's schedule of when they drop all the videos and just tagging, well, this looks interesting, this looks interesting, this looks interesting. And by the end of the week, I realized it was 78 sessions plus the keynote and the daily union. I'm 80 sessions. I'm personally really looking forward to macOS Sonoma because of the Windows XP backdrop and the uh, <laughs> the old active desktop from Windows 98 that they brought back with the widgets. So it's looking really great. Yes. And, and and by the way, I do have uh, my widget running on my desktop oh, now. Very nice. That's on the Sonoma, uh, and uh, I did do a first pass of changing the the window background to use uh, the the new design language for glass. Oh, very good. 
So you can see through that on the desktop or how, or it's just it, kind it, of- it, it, It's semi-translucent, so you kind of see a little bit through it. Uh, I, I lost my, my cool colors, uh, but oh well. <laughs> Never mind. Considering when I first wrote the application, it was literally the background was a picture of a desk I had somebody make me. The desk they made me, so it's a really nice wood, but it just didn't render very well. <laughs> Fair enough. So it sounds like yeah. Thanks, thanks for bringing us up to speed on the on the technical updates there from from yeah. the event. Um, the news has continued to flow through the week um, around other things that people have discovered or learned from playing with some of the betas and uh, looking into some of the code and trying to, as usual, read the tea leaves as to what's coming and how Apple's going to take things. I have not installed any of the betas, my betas myself, um, because I partly because I've been busy and I haven't had time. And also <laughs> this time around, I normally, I quite often do install things sort of a week before the iPhone event that they normally have in the fall, um, just to sort of be ready for the kinds of questions I get from friends and family about how something works in the new version. Um, and obviously by then they've had several months of polish to go through. So we'll see. I might I might try something later in the summer, but not right now. I've got plenty to be playing with in other ways. Well, excellent. So so you you had a couple of things uh, that you've been working on over the last week. Well, it's been a busy week. Um, one thing I was going to point out is um, actually Epred made me aware. I did, hadn't seen the news myself yet. Um, but uh, we had a brief exchange recently where he pointed out that Vision Pro has hit a slight copyright uh, naming uh, roadblock. Now, it's not the first time that's happened to Apple, um, although in, in the case of the TV, um, they evidently did have to back back, back down because I think they wanted to call it ITV originally, which is the name of a broadcaster in the UK. So um, they, they ended up on Apple TV, but um, they certainly... Uh, uh, have had to uh, have have had to requ- acquire trademarks in order to to um, bring out the product that they wanted to bring out in the past. I think iPad actually was one they had to buy in China at, at a certain point in time. But evidently, Vision Pro is a copyrighted name for something in uh, China uh, already. Huawei and granted to Huawei and uh, has been there for several years. So we shall see what whether they choose to, to buy that or come to any other agreement or call it something different if they launch in China. Because, of course, again, they were very clear that with the Vision Pro, with it coming early next year, um, it would initially be in the US. So we'll see how broadly it rolls out. I think also that price point is going to be a challenge for some of those um, for, for different markets. Um, now... I think for most markets. I right think for now. most markets as well. And we, we, we noted a really good piece by uh, Benedict Evans um, in the last 24 hours. We'll have a link in the show notes um, about the purpose of the, the Vision Pro and you know what it means. And he said sort of come back in 2025, right? Uh, very similar to what Michael and I were saying last week when we were digesting the news. Um, this is not a mass market headset. It is the first version of this thing. Um, it will very much depend on what the community, the market developers do with it. Um, but as Benedict Evans points out in his piece, which was, I thought, very thoughtful, they really have gone high end because they believe that is what you need to get the quality and experience right. you need, right? So those 
ridiculously uh, good quality uh, um, screens in the in the headset, the the the, the dual four K uh, very close up to your eyes screens. Um, that's what they believe and uh, that is required to to have the kind of smooth and pleasant experience that you don't necessarily get in some of the competing headsets. Also, of course, we've seen in the last week many of those influencers and sort of Apple um, well-known bloggers actually getting invited to Cupertino to get the hands-on tour, as you, you mentioned, Michael. And it's very difficult to sometimes sort the genuine opinion from the opinion of somebody who's been paid by Apple to, or been given treated very nicely by Apple and wants to continue to be treated very nicely by Apple by about by saying something nice but um it seems to be you know the the experiences that I've been reading seem to have been very positive which is which has been which has been fun so I wanted to talk very quickly about the vision pro copyright I, the reason that came up was that I've had a busy week and one of the things that I did this week was I was at an event in London on Wednesday night and it was in a uh it was in a startup hub uh shared working space innovation space very close to the british library in fact had an amazing view over the top of the british library and one of the things in the space there was a glass cabinet containing vr headsets very tantalizingly positioned and they had a an immersive lab there and i i took a picture and i sent it to michael and michael and said this is funny because one of the headsets uh, had uh, it was a black looking headset. It said fourteen forty on the side of it. Uh, it said spatial computing on the side of it. It was obviously several years old. I believe it was um, uh, either an HP or uh, another uh, brand. Um, there were other ones there, and there was was the opportunity to go play with the uh, some of the some of the headsets that existed at the time. And I kind of thought, well, that's very nice, but it's, <laughs> it's not exactly the vision pro. Um, well, so I just wanted to call that out. And once again, you know, they didn't invent the word, the term spatial computing, even though they used it prominently no. in the keynote. Um, so yeah, I thought, but I love that term. I, I, I love that term. I think that is very appropriate. So, the other thing, I guess, I've been tra- I, I, I did some traveling this week. I was at an event yesterday, uh, DevOps days in in Birmingham. I got to to talk to a lot of people. It was super fun. Uh, so yeah, I just I've had I've had a lot of going on. I've been also tracking the news and seeing what's happening. And as most listeners will know, that I'm not currently in full time employment, but I'm I'm doing uh, bits and pieces here and there. One of the things I've been tracking in particular, and I found very interesting to watch has been uh, the situation with um, Reddit. So Reddit's been, it's been a, a platform with a checkered history. And one of the things that I was reminded of this week is that it was kind of a successor to Dig, which is uh, mm-hmm. dear to our hearts as co-hosts because uh, Dig was kind of the uh, companion platform to our uh, original podcast, uh, Dog Ear Nation, because we had an internal tool called Dog Ear, which was similar to Dig in that you could bookmark things and you could sort of, and, and Dig had a show called Dignation, which kind of sifted through the most popular links and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, this week Reddit has gone dark for um, a large portion of uh, subreddits, communities, 
um, in protest at new API pricing and a number of other things. I think there's a focus on this API pricing and I think it is very relevant and it's particularly relevant to what I've done in my career for the last 10 years. Uh, and one of the things I've been watching with the pricing of data from APIs on platforms like Reddit has been, and, and Twitter and others, has been the fact that the drawbridges are being very rapidly drawn up by those companies. And we've all had a great time uh, in the last uh, 10, 15 years, sharing information, connecting with one another on these ostensibly free, although we all know that we share our personal data and get tracked and get marketed to and all these other things. Uh, and let's face it, we've often shared some fantastic discoveries. We've collaborated together through these platforms. It's quite well known that as Google's search quality potentially became worse because of advertising, SEO, bots, spam, etc. If you threw the word Reddit into a Google search, you'd often get a direct hit on something on Reddit, which would give you the answer that you were looking for, how to fix my car, how to uh, which printer should I buy? Whatever you might topic you might be asking, and there'd be a often be a, a, a dead dead on hit on Reddit. So there's been some kerfuffle with uh, the fact that the AI companies, the large language model companies, have been looking at these, have been basically using this data for whether or right or wrong, whether with permission or without. Um, exactly how this has all come about is somewhat questionable, but I've found uh, there's been some really interesting stories in the last week or so where people who are much more um, able to express the situation than I have written some great things about the end of platforms or the, uh, the challenges that API platforms, social platforms, data platforms are facing in the kind of leapfrogging of interest of these AI platforms. So um, one other thing I've been watching has been the migration en masse, or it's not really en masse, it's, it's at a significant volume. You know, we're talking lots of users, many of whom are the most engaged or power users on some of these platforms who have been most agitated, upset by the changes. And I'm talking specifically about Dig here, uh, Dig. <laughs> As a Freudian <laughs> slip, I'm talking specifically about Reddit here. Uh, have been moving to some Fediverse alternatives. So we've spoken in the past about Fediverse alternatives to different platforms, and, and we did a little deep dive probably about six months ago about the Fediverse and the fact that it's based on this activity pub protocol. So in principle, you can follow content and users across platforms. There are some link aggregation style community platforms similar to Reddit, uh, there's one called Lemmy and there's one called Kbin, and they're both very similar. Um, they let you, let you have a community, join a community, subscribe to a community, share links, talk about stuff that's happening in that community. And the cool thing is you can, can subscribe to communities that exist on a different instance of Lemmy or Kbin um, that may be in a different jurisdiction or a different geography or have different rules. You can still, I think I'm in about three or four different 3D printing communities. Now, that's not necessarily duplication. Um, it may be a bit more to look at sometimes, but sometimes those, you know, somebody may set up a community about Prusa printers on one 
server and, and, and 3D printer in general on another. And you can also follow them from Mastodon if you want to. So you don't have to sign up at so all. That, that was going to be mm. my question. Well, I had two questions. One was, are there any good Lemmy clients? Right. Uh, or could you consume the feeds yeah. into your Mastodon exactly. feed? So, and if so, I definitely want to get the instructions on that. And then my second question, because <laughs> I did I mm. did join and, and, and follow some earlier yeah. this week. My second question is, given the, the issue that these more closed open platforms had with API yeah. consumption of their data, What's to stop how do that? we stop well, first, the large yeah, language so, models from sucking right. up all the data? So let's address those questions separately, but quickly, uh, because we're going to run out yes. of time otherwise. Um, as with Mastodon, which saw a huge explosion of interest after November, uh, October, November, with the with uh, Twitter's changes, there is rapid and growing interest in improving the user experience, using user uh, uh, user uh, interface, and apps are emerging. So on iOS that you and I both use, there is one called. <laughs> Melem, as in M-L-E-M, which I love just because from the name. Um, and then I think there's another one called M-E-M, I think, if I remember off the top of my head, um, that are both in test flight at the moment as iOS apps. Um, and there are some Android apps as well um, whose names escape me. But um, And there are people jumping in and saying, hey, I'm used to Reddit. I'm used to the way this works. Why can't the user experience be smoother, etc." So I expect those things to happen. Uh, potentially relatively rapidly. But um, yeah, there isn't a massive ecosystem of those apps yet. Um, if there's a if there's interest from the community, then I'm sure they'll emerge. Um, you can follow communities from a Mastodon client if you want to, what will ha- or from a Mastodon instance if you want to. What will happen though, and I, so I don't find this particularly useful, is you'll get, if you subscribe to a community, say a 3D printing community on an instance of Lemmy, in Mastodon, then you'll get all of the posts from that and all of the comments and everything sort of showing up in your Mastodon feed, which may or may not be what you want. So just because you you definitely can use Fediverse apps to you know have one single Fediverse account and, and, and use it across different experiences like PixelFed in the case of Instagram, uh, Lemmy in the case of Reddit, PeerTube in the case of YouTube. But in my case, I still have separate accounts for each of them and I can share between them and I can boost across them, but uh, I tend to use them for the, the target uh, use case. The final question you asked is about how we stop uh, companies accessing the data and using it. That's a good question. Um, first of all, there is no single point of entry to many of these platforms. Um, there has historically been a preference not to provide search capabilities because it can be misused. Um, so that's a, that's a challenge to try to find that kind of content. And there's also a question of, should we, you know, not, I think we've all agreed in the past, the three of us, that these machine learning, LLM, AI generative models are not all bad. Um, there are, it's about, uh, it's about productive, sensible, thoughtful use of the technology. Um, is there a need for these things to be monetized is another, is another question. It's a really complicated topic, uh, how Fediverse instances are hosted, managed, how data is shared. There's a really good podcast uh, from TechDirt that just came out 
talking about trust and safety in the Fediverse. And I know that's pivoting the question slightly, but it, it really hits on the fact that because just because we can all host our own instances of things, that means that we all have to manage the things that were managed for us before, like trust and safety or content access or uh, data storage load and uh, compute power and all those other things. So I think those are all things to think about. That was what I wanted to talk about, uh, what I've been doing, what I've been playing with. We should both end on a high note uh, just at the end of the yes. show. Um, oh, it's a high note for me. Um, the new Babylon 5 animated movie, The Road Home, trailer dropped yesterday as we record. Uh, and yep. I'm excited. Statement. I, I, I am also excited. Are you? Uh, we, I am because I, I, I like... Babylon 5, I like the universe. I like the story. Uh-huh. Um, I'm surprised that it's going straight to video. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my one hesitation. But what, what, the last but what does couple that mean? of movies that came out went straight to but video. What does that they mean? weren't. Today, everything goes straight well, to video. Everything goes straight to streaming. It's, it's it, uh, Unless it's, it was never going to be. Well, it's not going straight to streaming. It's going straight to video. You can go out and buy the Blu-ray. They want to make money. Which means it's a very narrow cast audience. It's targeting just the fans. It, it doesn't seem like it's targeted to really grow the franchise a, and get more people It's a continuation engaged. of the story, which we've already seen. Yep. They, it's, yep. It, it, well, it's 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 in between parts of the story. Yeah. But it's a continuation, which, direct continuation again, of the, from the end of the show. And yeah. um, not necessarily from the previous movies. But I, I totally get it. Um, I understand why it's gone the way it has, and I I know that the there's a argument of fear that just because it it's going straight to video as you put it, therefore it must be not as good as what we watched on TV in the '90s or what could have happened if it had gone to a theater. Um, but I I think it's not that different, and I it makes sense to me. And well, I like the animation. We'll, we'll see. Style. I'm excited for it. I can't wait to watch We've it. We've got some of the original voice actors, uh, some of the original cast returning. Well, many of actors, them have, but many died of them have unfortunately since. passed on, gone beyond the rim, yep. and uh, and are no longer able to record with us. So, uh, yeah. Had, had they just had iOS 17 before then, they could have recorded their voices. Um, it only takes about 15 minutes, they say. Amazing, and then we could have just reproduced <laughs> all of them. We would yes. have needed like twelve different iPhones with with their personal voices on. <laughs> Just have a bunch of iPhones sitting in a circle with a ca- with an iPhone camera pointing yeah. at them. Somebody <laughs> rapidly typing in all the phrases to, for people to say. Well, you just take just take uh, Stradinsky's script and just feed it in. Wonder what ChatGPT would do with that. <laughs> and on that bombshell, well, I, I am really excited, and and we appreciate. Uh, all the feedback that we get with every episode of the show. Uh, we would love to have more. We, uh, you could find us at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Where you will find or at least sort of 20, 25 links that we haven't gone through, but were very cool and exciting this week. So do go take a look. Yes. Uh, you can find us on uh, different social platforms. Uh, and uh, Usually at gamesatwork underscore biz yeah. or dot biz, depending on whether the platform allows us to dot our name. Well, you can find us individually on those platforms and just uh, tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. All right, Michael. Absolutely. And uh, we shall, I think, possibly be all back together next week for the first time in a while. I think so. We shall see. All right. <laughs> see ya. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. 
been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork underscore biz or at our website at GamesAtWork.biz. Music